Happy Father's Day to all of you fathers. If you're a father in the building today, why don't you, why don't you stand up? I'd like to honor you guys. I, I think it's appropriate. If you're a father in this place, yeah, look at the father standing around. Father is the founder. Amen. God bless every one of you. God bless every one of you. The father is the foundation of the family. I'm going to talk to you this morning, at least I think I'm going to, for the next few moments. And uh, don't get your hopes up, because when I say for the next few moments, I literally don't even know what that means. I, I, I preach about a timeless place, and some people tell me I'm accused of preaching the everlasting gospel. So uh, <laughs> maybe you're out in 20, or maybe you're, but I can promise you, you'll be out of here before 513. Central Standard Time. Everybody doing well this morning? That's good. You are doing well? Well, good. Because if you're not doing well uh, and we let you leave and you're still not doing well, then we didn't do our job well. Jesus would walk into the temple one day. In fact, it'd be one of the first recorded things that he says after he comes into uh, the city from being tempted by the devil after his baptism, 40 days, and he uh, stands in front and he opens the Bible. And he says, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel of the poor. He, sa he literally says, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me. And he says, for this reason. Essentially, I'm anointed for this reason, to preach the gospel to the poor, to bind up broken hearts, uh, to open blind eyes and set at liberty those that are bruised, to preach the, the year of the Lord's favor. So if the anointing came upon Jesus as the, as the founding, foundational son, as the uh, a son after which, the, the, the pr prototypical son, then when the Spirit of God, the anointing comes upon us, it's not for us, it's for you. The Spirit of God within us is for us, but the Spirit that comes upon us is for you. And so if we do our jobs well, uh, then when you come in and you came in broken, you leave, you ain't broken no more. And we got to have a paradigm shift in church where it's not about our agenda and not about our programs. It needs to be about what says the Spirit of God. What does He want to do? What is His purpose? And what would He like to do? In, in, in fact, it should be more empowering, empowering um, than, than necessarily instructional. You can, you can have instruction, and that's good. But it should empower you to be what you already were called to be. So this morning I want to talk to you uh, about the spirit of full acceptance. The spirit of full acceptance. If you read from the King James Version, if I were preaching it from the King James, and I love the King James Version, then this would be entitled the spirit of adoption. But a lot of us don't understand the, 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 really the concept of adoption because most of, a lot of us, I would say, I know most of you, we're not adoptive parents. I am, but a lot of us aren't. So it's hard sometimes to understand kingdom realities if we don't understand the natural side of it. So, but all of us, every one of us can understand the idea of being fully accepted. And all of us probably at some point in our life have experienced not being fully accepted. In fact, I would say that uh, I, I read, I was going to read this in a minute, but I'll go ahead and tell you, I read, um, I, I, I would cite the source, and if I can remember, I will in a minute. I read the top 20 most celebrated holidays uh, in the United States. Number one was Christmas. You could, probably could have guessed that. Guess what number two is? No, that's what you would think. Nope. Mother's Day, which is appropriate, it's fine. So you got Jesus, and you got Mama, and then all the way down to number 20 is Father's Day. That's right. 
There, I think Arbor Day was a day in between Mother's Day and Father's Day. I don't even know what that is. Does anybody know what it is? Right. You plant, well, so it, we got, yeah, so trees mean more than fathers in our society. I'm for trees. I'm for that. But let me tell you something. If you don't have, if you don't have this foundational understanding that Father loves you, you will be lacking in your life. And a lot of us, I said this before, because we have broken image of we have a broken image of father because we had poor or bad experience or poor or bad examples of fathers, or maybe we didn't respond well to fathers. You know, fathers get a lot of blame for stuff that not necessarily is. There. I mean, Adam and Eve missed the mark. Was that God's fault as father? No. It's not just it's not just the father. It's the response of sons to fathers. A whole lot of people, you know, talking a whole lot about well, this is my father. This is my father. This is my father. And because this is my father, I have this. Well, how did you respond to your father? You have nineteen sons in the same family, and none of them be anything alike. Because some of them may respond well to father, and the others don't. And if you don't respond well to father, that's your problem. That you don't get the fullness of his inheritance. Man, don't write that down. That don't make friends with people. That makes people mad at you. I can live there. In fact, I think I do live there. But all of us can understand the idea, the concept of wanting to be fully accepted. It's intrinsic within our nature to want to be accepted. And a lot of times we do things thinking that if we do something, it will cause us to be accepted. And because we weren't instilled with the principle that, no, I was accepted because I was born. And, of course, you've got, uh, you know, crazy nuts that think it's okay to kill babies in the womb. That's never okay. It's not going to be okay. But we, we, we attack identity before the babies even get a chance to be born. And if you think it's not demonic in the plan of the enemy, that's okay. You've been wrong before. It is. It's demonic, and it is the plan of the enemy. It's, there's no such thing as a, as, as a godly abortion or a godly death or any of that. It's not. It just doesn't exist. And this is not a political talking point. This is about the life of God being breathed into another being and, and a human thing, and they have the right to take that. It's not right. It's, it's, it's an onslaught. It's an attack. I couldn't, care less, I couldn't care less if you voted for this side or voted that. That's not in, in any way what this is about. What I'm talking about is the very breath of God, the ruach, the breath of God. And you do not have the right to extinguish the breath of another human being because you have a political persuasion. So we attack fathers. We attack babies. And it's no wonder our nation is in the condition it's in where we're all searching for identity. We're all searching for acceptance. We're all searching to, to, for someone to nod their head and say, you did well. We're really, all, what it is, what it boils down to is most of us live in broken communion with the Father. And we don't know that that's what it is. So we fill ourselves with all these other things and all these other ideas trying to fill that void which, will only be, which can only be filled by understanding that you do have unbroken communion with the Father. And that happens when you understand he loves me. Jesus loves me. Father loves me. Just as I am, not as I should be, because none of us are as we should be, as Brendan Manning would say. The spirit of full acceptance. Romans chapter 8, in my, one of the, my most favorite chapters in the whole scripture. I'm going to read from the Passion Translation. Uh, I like all the translations. Read the ones you want to read, but this morning I'm going to read from Passion. I'm going to start in verse 14. The mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. And you did not receive the spirit of religious duty. Amen. Leading you back into the fear of never being good enough. But you have received the spirit of full acceptance. That's a mouthful. 
King James says you, we have received the spirit of adoption. But the idea is conveyed. It's not just adopting. It's you are accepted into his family no matter what you did or didn't do. Look, here's the deal. And Unless before time God gave us the decision, none of us remember, I did not choose Tony and Barbara Bunton to be my parents. Although if I would have had the choice, I can guarantee you I would have chosen Tony and Barbara Bunton to be my parents. I didn't choose that. I am here as a result of a love that they had for each other. In the same way, you're fully, so I was fully accepted. Jeremy, Carrie, Tony, Holly, Jeremy, uh, Rebecca, we were fully accepted as children because we were the offspring of their love. And that's what you are to the Heavenly Father. You're accepted because you carry within yourself the DNA of God. You have that as a birthright, as a birthright of being a human being. You're created in His image and after His likeness, period. And if we would stop living our lives to become accepted and understand you were born accepted, you were born belonging. You were born belonging. You were belonging, in fact, before your mother birthed you. From the moment that you were conceived, there's Old Testament precedent for this and New Testament. From the moment you were conceived, the, the, the heartbeat that you develop came from God himself. And the Lord even said in Jeremiah, he said in the Old Testament that, that he would be a prophet to the nations. Before you were born, I knew you and I called you as a prophet to the nations. The angel speaks about Jesus coming before Mary got pregnant. The moment that Mary said, be it done unto me according to your word, in my opinion, is the very moment that the Holy Spirit overshadowed her and put inside of her the seed, fertilized the egg inside of her that would cause Jesus to be the marriage of two worlds at one time. The, oh my God, the, the, the world that is to come and the world that was. He was going to marry forever together the kingdoms of the, of, 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 of the heavenly Father and the kingdoms of the earth. He would marry forever heaven and earth and it's never been divorced. That's what's wrong with most of the New Testament gospel it's because it's not New Testament gospel. It's American theology. It's relatively new, and it preaches this. Do good, get good, say the magic prayer to get a house in the sky one day. And I'm good with you getting a house. I, please don't miss. Please, but surely we have, not, we have not watered down the gospel to say this is what Jesus preached. You can get a really big, nice house if you say a magical prayer and, if you, you know, and, and, and really do real good all your life. And you happen to die on good terms with God. Boom, there's your house. That's not gospel. Gospel means good news. This is the good news. Jesus or Christ or God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world unto himself. This is good news. You are loved and you are the apple of his eye. That to me is good news. The good news is that Jesus came um, so that we be could become sons and daughters of God. The good news is you are fully loved, fully accepted, and you were born belonging. That's good news to me. And it is the good. In fact, Jesus didn't preach a message about heaven. If he talked about heaven, it was something like this. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God is within you. That's the one he preached about heaven. But it wasn't this floating place out in you know, space somewhere that you got a house in one day. That's not what Jesus preached. It's very clear. The Bible says Jesus went about preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And the kingdom is an all-encompassing kingdom. You might not like this word. I know some of you won't like it because I know your political persuasion too. The kingdom is an all-inclusive kingdom. Oh, man. You know, you got quiet. I said the kingdom is all-encompassing. And there were nine of you who said, amen. I said the kingdom is all-inclusive. Well, I didn't like that. That's okay. When you hear, you know, when you hear truth for the first time, sometimes it does smack you in the face. But it doesn't, it doesn't change the truth from being the truth because you haven't heard it or you don't believe it. Are you telling me God's going to? This is the heart of God. This is the heart of God. You want to see it? Here it is real quickly. Master, oh, master, 
And they're, just imagine these guys in their three-piece suits and their big King James Bible about this big. Carrying around. Master, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. Now, this book says she needs to be stoned. What do you say? And they were trying to trap Jesus. If I were Jesus, I would have said, you sure didn't know where to find her when she was in the very act. But I ain't one to gossip, so you ain't heard that from me. She was caught in the very, they were accusers. They did not even know that they were energized by the very spirit that you call devil. Because the devil is the accuser. If you find yourself always accusing what he did, what she did, what that did, you might want to check yourself and know who you've joined your spirit to. There's a spirit of liberation. If you join yourself to him, you will be always seeking to reconcile and liberate. But if you're always accusing, you might want to check yourself before you wreck yourself because you are not joined to the spirit of the master and in the spirit of the accuser at the same time. Because bitter and sweet water will not come forth from the same fountain. And Jesus says this. He just kneels down. Jesus was cool. I love him. He was awesome. I mean, I mean, yes, I mean, yes, we have to say that, but I mean, he was, he was just so wise. He was literally genius personified. And he writes in the dirt, and we don't know what he wrote. I like when preachers preach what he wrote. I mean, unless God gave him a revelation, we don't know. You know, he probably wrote, these guys are knuckleheads. I'm so sick of this mess. <laughs> he literally could have been writing, I'm so hungry. I hope Mama Mary's got some food when I get back home. Who knows what he wrote? All we know is he knelt down and wrote in the, and he looked up and he said, um, tell you what, whichever one of you hasn't missed the mark, you have your stone in your hand, you sling it first. Isn't it amazing that the rock of our salvation, the only one that had permission to sling a stone, chose not to. And, there, and the Bible says one by one, starting from the eldest to the least. I love that too. You know, the real important ones. You know, with the big King James Bible, about this big, that beat people up every Sunday. That's probably the rock they dropped, but don't. <laughs> Boom. Starting with the eldest to the least, and they dropped the rocks and walked away. Jesus does something phenomenal. He does something amazing. He kneels down. He writes again. And then he says this to the woman. Woman, where are your accusers? Can you imagine? Put yourself in that moment. Put yourself in that moment. She was probably, had been thrown at his feet. And her face was probably still in the dirt because she knows she's facing impending death. And even though the accusers walked away, until Jesus picks up her face, she doesn't know that she's innocent and that nothing condemns her. You want to know what the job of a new covenant minister is? To pick their faces up and say, we ain't going to condemn you either. You want to be a new covenant preacher? Pick their face up off the ground and say, look around. There's no one left to condemn you. He's not a condemning father. He came to reconcile you back into himself. He came to, broke your, to, to fix your broken image of him and of yourself. Look at woman. Woman. Where are those thine accusers? And she gets up and she looks around. And she says, I have none. What a revelation. I have none. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. And then he says this. I'm going to tell you what he didn't say. He didn't say this. Now, don't you go sin again. He didn't, like, he's not schizophrenic. He didn't jump over into the accuser of the brethren all of a sudden. Don't you go sin again, you little harlot. It's not what he said. Here's what he said. Now, I believe, and I don't know, I believe that he lifted her up to her feet and said, now go and sin no more. What he did was liberate her to be who she was always called to be. 
You don't have to live that life. You don't have to sell yourself to be accepted. You don't have to do any of the things. Go and sin no more. It was a release. It was the license to be who you always were. She saw herself in his eyes for the first time. She saw a man that didn't look at her with what he could get from her, but wanted to give her something. And what he was going to give her was the freedom to see you are a daughter of my father. And he's a good, good father. He's always good and he's only good. The spirit of full acceptance. Enfolding you into the family of God. And you will never feel orphaned. For as he rises up within us, our spirits join him in saying the words of tender affection. Beloved father. As the King James says, Abba. I love that. Abba. Abba. Did you know that a Palestinian boy... Years and years and years ago, you know, did you, I, I will say this, and I, I got this from Brendan Manning. You should watch, if you've never watched it, you should watch some of the sermons that this man preaches. It's such a humble man. He went through such, I mean, he, he, was, he was known around the world as, this, as, a, as a priest, and then he became a drunk, and then he was a preacher, and then he, he I, mean, I mean like a drunk where he was, a, literally calls himself a wino laying on the streets, and a mother would pass him by and say, don't look at that, you should never become that. After he had already been around the world, he's the one that wrote Abba's Child. You should probably read Abba's Child. If you want to read there's a, there are a lot. There are, there are a lot. But he said that he went to a, a, a priest's home, of, a friend of his, because he lived in a place in New York where there, were a lot, there was a Jewish community. And uh, this little boy was on his papa's lap and said he was pulling at his beard the whole time they're having a conversation. And it didn't bother the father at all. And the father put the little boy, he had just begun to walk or just learning to walk and run down. And somehow he had hit his head and become discombobulated, forgot where he was. And he started crying out, Ab, Ab. Abba, I have six children without fail. Every single one of them, their first words were dada, dada. Jacob's was daddy. <laughs> he called me daddy. His very first words were daddy. The very first words that you should speak, that you should understand. It, it, it just happens that way. If you're in a house with a dad, you're a house with a father. I think it's something like 89% of most babies in America, their first words are dada. In the same way 2,000 years ago, a Palestinian child's first words would have been Ab. Abba. It's where we get our understanding, Abba. Abba is not a Greek word. Abba is an Aramaic word transliterated into the Greek uh, with the letters Abba. And it means my own dear father. It releases from its own name the idea of crawling into the lap and knowing you're safe, secure, accepted, and you have the same name. Now, to me, that sounds like the gospel. For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers into our innermost being, you are God's beloved child. If you don't hear anything else from me this morning, but you listen to me, look at me up here. You, yes, you are God's beloved child. And I don't care what you did last night. Go and sin no more. You are God's beloved. Where are your accusers? You are God's beloved. By the way, in case you didn't know, your accuser was already, was already defeated. He was already taken care of. So you don't have to worry about the accuser anymore. In fact, depending on your perspective, the accuser is dead. The only thing that lives is an affirming love from the Father that says, you are. And since we are his true, true children, we qualify to share in all his treasures. For indeed, we are heirs of God himself. And since we are joined to Christ, we also inherit 
all that he is and all that he has. We will experience being co-glorified with him, provided that we accept his sufferings as our own. The word sufferings there, in the, if you, it literally means his passion. If we share in his passion, if we share in his passion, being willing to give our lives, yes. It doesn't mean that there's no suffering, but it's not always the idea of, I'm just suffering a little bit more for Jesus. You know, God gave me cancer so I could be closer to him. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard in my life. You'd be a whole lot closer if you didn't suffer from the cancer. God healed you from it. You'd probably be more free to worship and serve and be who you were called to be. God does not teach by giving illness. He does not teach by giving sickness. It is very clear he always and only teaches by his spirit, who he himself calls the teacher. Am I saying you can't learn a lesson through an illness? I'm not saying that. Of course, God, he'll take even he, everything formed against you, and he'll make it work together for your good. But God, it, the disciples tried that one day. Jesus, which one? You know, who sinned that made this happen? No, no, no. This was the glory of God going to be manifested in him. God doesn't make you sick so that you can get a little bit closer to him. And God doesn't make your person leave you, and God didn't break up your family. God didn't do a lot of stuff God gets blamed for. I would, I would I'd take this a step further, but you're going to get mad at me. There's a whole lot of stuff the enemy gets blamed for. He didn't do either. There's a whole lot of stuff. You made dumb decisions. You knew better. You, and you're having to live in it. And you're like, well, you know, the, no, the enemy didn't do it. And God didn't do it. You did it. And probably if you'd ever learned the lesson not to do that again, you probably wouldn't be where you still are 17 years later. But I ain't one of gossips. You ain't heard that from me. <clears throat> Verse 18. I'm convinced that any suffering that we endure, you know the King James. I like this. For I am persuaded. But I'm convinced that the sufferings of this present time that's why they are not worthy to be compared with the glory. The passion says it this way. I'm convinced that any suffering that we endure is less than nothing compared to the magnitude of glory, doxa, jubilee, that is about to be unveiled within us. The, unveiled within us. Not unveiled to us. Unveiled within us. Unveiled within us. Get the, get the point. The entire universe is on tiptoe. Yearning to see the unveiling of God's glorious sons and daughters. Let me tell you where the veil is over God's sons and daughters. It's over their own eyes. The, the veil uh, over God's sons and daughters is the veil over their own eyes. Not seeing him clearly and not seeing themselves clearly and not seeing brothers and sisters clearly. If the, it, clearly. Clearly what I say? If you ever see him clearly, you can love him perfectly. And if you ever see him clearly, you can see yourself as you truly are and love yourself. And then and only then will you be able to love your neighbors the way you're called to love them. Most people don't not love their neighbor because they're bad people. They haven't learned to love themselves. And they project upon other people their own feelings of self-worthlessness. Or as Blaise Pascal said years ago, he said, God made man in his image. And so man returned the favor. So we think God's just like us. So we're angry and we're temperamental and all this. So we automatically assume that's what God's like. Here's what's worse. A lot of us have experienced uh, in our family life a father that's temperamental, that's aloof, that's removed, that's not a part of our life. Or, or worse yet, you didn't have a father. And because you didn't have the, and he was supposed to have been your picture of God. I heard the man that wrote the, the book, the, uh, the Shack, he said, he said it took him 50 years to wipe the face of his dad off of the face of God because he did not have a good father. How many people live in that where, God forbid, if you lived in an abusive situation, um, you have to wipe the face of your father off the face of God. You can't love God completely because you project upon him what was supposed to have been your picture and the shadow of what he's like as a good father. You didn't get that. Thank God. I did. I did. I'm not complaining about my dad, but I know a lot of people did. Or, God, if you don't even have a father or he's absent, 
it's no wonder we don't know how to love God. We don't know what he's like. And if the only thing we've ever heard about what God is like is what they're telling us from, from behind the podium every week when they're beating us up and, you know, the preacher stomp my toes today, well, he should be fired. He's not called to stomp toes. He's called to mend hearts. But I ain't one to gossip, so you ain't heard that from me. I should have named it that. <clears throat> For against its will, the universe itself has had to endure the empty futility resulting from the consequences of human sin. Remember, sin is not, you know, getting drunk and all that stuff. That's the symptom of sin. Sin is to see yourself as anything less than what you really are. That's sin. That is literally the definition, a mistaken identity. But now with eager expectation, all creation longs for freedom from its slavery to decay and to experience with us the wonderful freedom coming to God's children. To this day, we are aware of the universal agony and groaning of creation as if it were in the contractions of labor for childbirth. And it's not just creation. We, who have already experienced the first fruits of the Spirit, also inwardly groan as we passionately long to experience our full status, full status as sons and daughters, including, don't miss this, our physical bodies being transformed and not some glad morning. Not some glad morning. It was some glad morning this morning when I got up. For this is the hope of our salvation. The hope of our salvation is the, is the salvation of us spirit, soul, mind, and body. And if you hear a gospel that's less than that, it's not the full gospel. Jesus just doesn't want to save your spirit and soul so you're not in these flames they've told you about. He wants to save you right now, and he wants to save your body. A part of your salvation experience is the healing of your body. And we don't hear that preached a whole lot, and the reason we don't hear it is because we've, we've, we've watered down the gospel to be a couple of points, a prayer, a magical prayer, and get them into the, you know, into the family. Really, it's to get them church members and own the books so we can get their money. That's a lot of what this has been. It was never the gospel. The gospel was about healing you, spirit, soul, mind, and body, in this earth, in this realm. In this earth, the enemy comes to steal. I am come that you might have life and have it more abundant. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. I can say it a thousand different ways. God, the searcher of the heart, knows fully our longings, yet he also understands the desires of the Spirit because the Holy Spirit passionately pleads before God for us, his holy ones, in perfect harmony with God's plan and our destiny. So we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together for good. This is, this is Romans 8, 28. You know, this, all things work together for the good of them that love God and are called according to his purpose. Here's the Passion Version. So we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together for good. For we are his lovers who have been called to fulfill his design purpose. For he knew all about us before we were born. And he destined us from the beginning, from the beginning of what? To share the likeness of his son. This means the son is the oldest among a vast family of brothers and sisters who will become just like him. My God Almighty. And I never read one time where Jesus was defeated, even when it looked like he was defeated. And even when it looked like death was swallowing him up, the reality was he was swallowing up death. Oh, and then he would stand over his fallen foe and he would say to his fallen foe, death, he Mock death. He said, death, where is your sting and grave? Where is your victory? It wasn't a question. He was mocking his defeated foe. And by the way, he's still defeated in 2021. Death has no reign and no power over Christ the righteous, nor his righteous family. Period. And anybody that tells you differently, they're, they're misinformed. 
Having determined our destiny ahead of time, he called us to himself and transferred his perfect righteousness to everyone that he called. And those who, he, who possess his perfect righteousness, he co-glorified with his son. So what does this all mean? What does this all mean? What shall we say then, I think is the King James Version. If God has determined to stand with us, tell me, who could ever stand against us? Robin sings it best. If God is on my side, who can be against me? If God stands with me, it doesn't matter who's against me. God and me make a majority. If God is with good God Almighty. If God is with me, it doesn't matter who stands against me. And sometimes it's only been God with me. But that's okay. He's all I have. And I found out then he was all that I really needed. When God God is with me. It doesn't matter what everybody else says. No devil in hell can stand before me when the Spirit of God rises up within me. What does this all mean? If God is determined to stand with us, God has set his face. I'm going to stand with this. Tell me who could ever stand against us. For God has proved his love. Proved his love. Here's his motivation. God is motivated by love because that's his nature. God always acts out of his nature, which is love. By giving us his greatest treasure, the gift of his son. And since God freely offered him up as the sacrifice for us all, he certainly won't withhold any good thing or anything else that he has to give. I'm almost done. Bear with me a few more minutes. Who then would dare to accuse those whom God has chosen in love to be his? He literally is saying, who can accuse you? The accuser's dead. The accuser's defeated. The only way the accuser lives is when you give him breath with your thoughts and with your mouth. You don't even know half the time you talk down to yourself, all you're doing is resuscitating your own enemy. You're doing CPR to the heartbeat of the very one that accuses you day and night. Stop that mess. Stop resuscitating. Stop regurgitating. Stop saying those things about yourself. I'll never be here. I couldn't have done her if I had only. No, stop saying those things. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's who you really are. Start living up to your calling instead of living below it and beneath your privilege. How do I do that? Well, you're not a human doing. You're a human being. So what you need is a revelation of him, a revelation of yourself, and just be. I got up this morning, 5 o'clock, I was communing with Father. You know what he told me? Enjoy the day. That's what I plan on doing. Who could ever divorce us from the endless love of God's anointed one? Whew. Absolutely no one, for nothing in the universe has the power to diminish his love toward us. Troubles, pressures, problems, all of them are unable to come between us and heaven's love. What about persecutions, deprivations, dangers, and death threats? Nope, not even them. For they are all impotent to hinder omnipotent love. Even though it is written all the day long we face death threats for your sake, God, we are considered to be nothing more than sheep to the slaughter. Yet even in the midst of all these things, we triumph over them all. For God has made us to be what? More than conquerors. We've been made more than conquerors. Who knows it? Overcomers in this life, we've been made victorious through the power of Jesus Christ. My daddy used to sing it better than me. Yet even in the midst of all these things, we triumph over them all, for God has made us to be more than conquerors and has demonstrated his love in the glorious victory over everything. So now I live with the confidence, almost done, that there is nothing in the universe with the power to separate us from God's love. Whoa, that's a mouthful. 
Nothing can separate you from God's love. Nothing. Guess what? Not even your own broken image. It doesn't separate you. Your actions, your sin, what you did, none of it separates you from God. None of it does. And you don't even know it. You're not knowing it doesn't separate you either. I'm convinced that his love will triumph over death, over life's troubles, over fallen angels or dark rulers in the heavens. There is nothing in our present or future circumstances that can weaken his love. There's no power above us or beneath us, no power that could ever be found in the universe that can distance us from God's passionate love, which he lavished upon us through our Lord Jesus, the anointed one. Amen. The spirit of full acceptance. I want to read through my notes and we'll get, get out of here momentarily. The majority of what we do, I would venture to guess, and the majority of what we become find its orig origin in the desire for, for full acceptance. We've all watched sports figures rise from obscurity to one day realize the dream of winning a championship. Upon winning the trophy, the champion runs to mom or dad or someone who has mentored them because they feel like they proved themselves. We all, if you were a fan of basketball at all, if you, if you don't think Michael Jordan's the greatest player of all time, you're not a fan of basketball. In fact, you've been duped. And if you think LeBron's the greatest player of all time, see me after church. We're going to cast that devil out, that lying demon out of you. <laughs> I got teased with you a little bit. When Michael Jordan won his trophy, do you remember? He just grabbed it, and he loved on his father. His father was right there. And then the, the year that his dad died, he came back, and he won it then. He laid in the floor, collapsed in the floor. The trophy didn't mean a thing. It's what it represented. And you know what he did it for? He did it for his father. He said, I was out there playing with her dad. Go watch some of the Father's Day games. Remember when Brett Favre's dad died, quarterback Brett Favre, when his father died, and he went out and Gunslinger had one heck of a game. It was, and he, he was crying in the interview. Everybody felt that. If you watched it, you felt it, even if you didn't like him. And if you didn't like him, you needed help. He's a great quarterback. Chris Walker may not have liked him because Chris is a Bears fan, but he probably would have liked that game. I had a bunch of them the other day. It's as if the trophy somehow validates the person. Don't miss this. Which speaks to the motive of winning a trophy. It's never about the trophy, but what it represents. I'm validated because I won this. How many people have you seen win, and, and they're good, not that they're not good, spend their whole life to win one trophy, and having won it, they feel validated because they became a champion, and they didn't know that they were already a champion long before they got the trophy. And many of us never get the trophy that we look for in life, and so we feel as though we've never been fully validated, and so we don't celebrate the fact that you're alive. And the fact that you're alive means that you won. The trophy is his image that you carry. You are a bearer of his glory and a bearer of his image whether you like it or not or whether you know it or not. I am validated, which to take a step deeper would be I am accepted. The ultimate reason, the supreme why, is really about affirmation. We were all created with the intrinsic desire to be affirmed. And it's the purpose and calling of a father Listen to me, fathers, young fathers. It's the purpose and calling of a father to set and affirm your child's identity. It's, it's, your, it's your job. It's your responsibility. In fact, if you understand it, it's your honor. It should be. To set the nature of your children and to affirm that. We learned early on, Elizabeth and I learned early on, even the way we talk to our children, we don't even say good boy or bad boy or good girl or bad girl because we don't want them to think that what they do makes them good or bad. 
So what we say is good job. If you say good boy, good girl, that's fine. I don't care if you say it. We say it to our dogs. Very rarely, by the way. When, oh, wow. Very rarely to Rosie. We don't say good girl. I'm like, God, that little squirrel-looking thing. She's a little morky. She snuck into our family and got into my little daughter's heart, so I have to deal with her. I can't tell you how many times I wanted to place kick that little animal. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just, I'm just, almost every time if I get really mad at her, the Lord makes me apologize, and she gets up in my lap, and I wait until nobody's looking, and I say, I'm, I'm sorry, Rosie. I'm sorry. It's true. It's true. It's, true. it's funny because my, my boys have walked in a few times when Rosie, the little tiny Morky's on my lap, and Jacob walk in and look like, what? What are you doing? Get out of here. Don't Mind your own business. We're facing a crisis in the nation and indeed the world. The crisis is far more reaching than any pandemic. It has touched the lives of so many and has without a doubt directly or indirectly impacted everyone that is alive. The crisis is the absence of fathers resulting in the loss of identity. Young people don't join a gang because they were born corrupt. They have the need for identity and community, and they'll look for it until they find it somewhere. To be sure, the greater percentage of people alive never found their true identity, and that is, by and large, as a result of the absence of fathers. Even Paul said, you have not many fathers in the New Testament. I told you earlier, in the top 20 list of celebrated holidays, Father's Day came out at 20. No way in the world there should be 19 holidays celebrated before and above Father's Day, but it's a fact. And because people lack fathers, whether natural, spiritual, or emotional, they will do anything to fill the void of being affirmed and accepted. Win trophies, get degrees, make money, all driven by a desire to be accepted. The truth is you, just like you are, are already accepted. I'm finishing. If anyone discovers that, tr that truth at any age, it would free them to be Instead of living a life striving to become. Will you play something on the keys while I'm finishing up, William? You'll have to turn that on back there, Isaac. I'm paying attention today. It's a Father's Day. He's going to listen today. I know you listen. If anybody ever realizes that they're fully accepted, then you will live your life simply being and not feeling the need to prove yourself and to become something that you can ultimately be accepted for. I lived that way a long time. My nature, you probably wouldn't believe this, my nature is, is com comical. I'm, fu I'm funny. You're telling on yourself, you laughed. <laughs> but I lived a lot of my life trying to be funny and do weird, crazy, unbelievable stuff. I'll tell you, I won't tell No, I will not tell you. And Jeremy won't either. Don't you try that. But <laughs> bless. Do, no, you won't. Nanny's got some video to prove it. When I, remember when I interviewed the toilet at Thanksgiving? As a 12-year-old, I said, man, this guy's had a rough day. <laughs> I actually am funny, but I lived a lot of my life. I, I didn't know that I was accepted and loved by friends that I, or people that I wanted that were my peers. And so I would go crazy wild stuff. If Seth was here, he could tell you something too. And he, thank God he ain't going to tell you. And I didn't understand that I was already accepted. In fact, this is the funny thing. I wasn't going to say this is a part of the service, but I just happened to think of it. Just a few months back, uh, one of my closest friends, we were playing golf over at Lakewood, and he said, uh, it was because another friend of ours, uh, Casey, had visited 
Um, and I had asked him if he saw Casey. He said, no. He said, we did have an interesting conversation. I said, what's that? He said, I'll never forget when Casey said, man, Josh tries so hard to be accepted. And if he would just be him, he's like one of the coolest people I ever met. I didn't, I mean, you, you know, you, you grow up and you don't know those things. I've learned the secret of just, I'm learning, I should say, the secret of just being. Some people are going to like you and some people aren't going to like you. You're going to have to learn to live with that. That's their problem. You know, in fact, I would even go so far to say if they don't like you, it's probably some inward insecurity they have about themselves that they're projecting upon you, and you can't do anything about that. Love them anyways. What are you going to do? You're going to try to change everybody's mind about you? You're going to live in this endless cycle of never feeling like you're enough and always trying to prove yourself. I lived that life, and it's exhausting. Look at all this. This isn't just because I got six kids. All this white in here is because I lived a long time trying to prove my, I tried to prove myself to my friends. When my father died, I tried to prove myself to church people that in, in my minds I thought should understand where I am and be understand. Church people are mean. Not y'all, not, not y'all are good, but church people can be just as mean as anybody else. And the reason a lot of church people are mean is because they heard a bunch of preachers and the preachers they heard all their lives are mean. And so they became like what the gospel they heard was. So I, I can't even really be mad at them. I've moved on. Now, you know, like the, like the saying says, I want you to eat. It just ain't going to be at my table. You, go ahead and eat. Uh, and that's fine. But it's, you can't go spending your whole life trying to prove something or trying to prove yourself or trying to win the trophy or win the degree or get the money or get the house or get the car, or get the stuff. Man, that is an exhausting life. And ask anybody that has, quote, quote, arrived at that place. And they will tell you almost, they will almost exclusively tell you, it's not what I thought. I got all the money in the world, and, I, and, I, and I'd rather have a, a whole family. I'd rather have a person that lives with me, loves me, and sees me for who I am than all the millions you could give me. Ask them. Ask the sports figures. I've wa- I wish I could remember the documentary. I, I love to watch 30 for 30s, the ESPN stuff. And so many of the athletes, like I thought when I got there to the ultimate of my sport, I would feel like I finally made it. And I got there, and I look at the trophy like, this is it? Because the desire was never get a trophy subconsciously the desire was to feel accepted by your peers and probably by those that are mentors, fathers, or mothers of yours. How sad that any child should ever be made to feel that they have to perform to get the acceptance of a parent. And if you're a parent that does that, you need to stop that mess because that's not God-like. You love your children because they're your children. And you help them through their stuff because they're your children. And you live with them. And just because they're a certain age don't mean you stop helping them. Just love them and help them. Hopefully you'll have them the rest of your life. I read it to you earlier. They're rewards from God. And they're meant to be enjoyed. But they're looking to you for affirmation. They're looking to you for identity. So affirm them. You know, do the things you need to do. Fathers, step up for God's sake. We need fathers in this, in 2021, if there's ever been a time for fathers to step up. Step up and be the role model. Look, my kids don't need a role model on TV because they got one on Miracle Farm Road. I don't care what they see on, and here's what they do. And, and I love that they do. I did it with my father. They compare what they see on TV to what they hear at home. And if it doesn't match up, they'll discard it. Because they know, I don't have to live up to that. Dad. I tell my little girl every single day, my boys too, man, you're so smart. You're so handsome. You're so beautiful. You're so intelligent. I tell them every, you're full of the glory of God. Everywhere you walk, just, you're, 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 just, you're the best of all. This. Abby, do I tell you these things? All the time. And it's true. And it's true. And no one will ever be able to break her perception of herself because I have affirmed her from the moment she was born. 
What I'm trying to convey to you, fathers, do that for your children. But more than that, we have a heavenly father that is trying to have his new covenant messengers convey a message. Hey, I love you. You are fully accepted. I love you just like you are. Look, father didn't wait for the son to come back to love him. He loved him when the son was in the pig's pen wasting his inheritance. Remember, when the boy had wasted his inheritance, had essentially wished his father dead, he came to himself. And the Bible says when he came to himself, this is what came to him. And this is what came to him first. I've preached before, the father didn't chase the boy into the pig pen, but the goodness of God did. Because when he came to himself, he said, and he remembered the goodness of his father and how even the servants in father's house have enough to eat and some to spare. So I'll go back to that because I tried this. I tried to live for myself and I tried to live for riches. And the Bible said he lived a whorish, wild life. He was a crazy man and none of that fulfilled him. The one one thing that fulfilled him was what he always had, but that he didn't know he had was a good father that accepts me just like I am. That's gonna, and so he's on his way back to daddy's house and he's, he's reciting to himself, I'm gonna tell him, daddy, I've sinned against you. Here's what he's gonna say. Listen, don't miss this. He's gonna essentially repeat the sinner's prayer. I'm gonna go to church Sunday and I'm going up to the front and I'm gonna repeat the sinner's prayer. That's what he's thinking. And it's not a bad thought. Don't misunderstand me. But there's a deeper concept at play here that Jesus is trying to convey in his parable. I will go back to my father and I will say to my father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Obviously, he's speaking in parables. He's talking about our father. I've, speak, I've, I've sinned against heaven and you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. None of this came out of the mouth of the father. This is what the son is reciting to himself that he's going to tell the father the moment he gets a chance. I'm going to church Sunday. And I'm going to tell him, I'm a worthless, I'm a worthless low-down scoundrel, and I've sinned. And the Bible says, when the son was still away far off, yet a far way off, father saw him. And in fact, he already knew he was coming. And father got up off his porch and ran to the son. And the son opens his mouth to repeat the sinner's prayer. And the father interrupted him before he ever said the sinner's prayer, before he ever said, I've sinned. Father said, bring the new robe and put on my boy. Bring the best robe in the house and bring the ring and bring the shoes and kill the fatted calf because this my son not having repeated the sinner's prayer this my son was dead and he's alive again this my son was lost and he's found this my son was blind and now he sees what is he sees what that i always loved him and there was always a place at my table for him there was always a position in my house for him bring a ring and put it on his finger so when he stamps my signet ring on his stamp it gives him the same authority that i've got bring and put new shoes on his feet so because i'm going to give him a new walk he'll walk every Every day knowing he is fully and utterly accepted. Bring a new robe. I'll take off that stinking robe of trying to prove himself. I'm going to put on the robe of acceptance, the full robe of acceptance, the robe of full acceptance so he knows he's mine. And guess what? It's party time. Why is it party time, Daddy? Because he knows who he is now. He knows who he is now, and nobody will ever be able to take that from him. He thought he forfeited it, and having thought he forfeited it comes back, and I still affirmed him. You are my beloved son. No, Good God Almighty. And all the church people were mad. All the church people were mad. Why were they mad? Well, he went out, and he did this, and he did that, and he did this, and he did that. I've never so much as asked for a goat to have a party with my friends. And you give it, and the father says, don't you know all I have is yours? 
He didn't leave, God is so good. He didn't leave anybody out. He didn't leave the hypocritical backwards church guys. And he didn't leave the ones that went out and did their own stuff. He wanted to include everybody at his table. And that's the part about having an all-inclusive table and an all-inclusive kingdom. You don't have to change before you get in. Having come in, as the, as the scales fall from your eyes, you realize, I'm changing. I, this metamorphosis is just happening to me. It's happening to me. I don't have an interest. I've never seen a butterfly crawl around with a bunch of worms after it gets its wings. Guess what it's going to do? Spread its wings and fly. The spirit of adoption, the spirit of full acceptance. Let's all stand. I'm finished. I'm finished. I'm sorry. Thanks for giving me a few extra moments. Spirit of full acceptance. I like the old song, just as I am, without one plea, but that your blood was shed for me. Just as I am, you bid me come to thee. Oh, Lamb of God, I come. I come. Just as I am. Not as I should be, because none of us are as we should be. I think I would go a step further and say, just as we are, not as we should be, because most of us don't know that we already are what we should be. Lord, my Father, to the best of my ability, this morning I have tried to convey your heart, your fathering, loving heart to your people. I know there are people that have come here that live in that endless rat race and cycle of trying to prove themselves. I know it because I follow some of them on social media. I know it from some others because it is the programming that many of us receive from the time we're children. But we're not test scores. We're not little robots. We're not meant to think alike, do alike, be alike. We're all different trees and different flowers in your garden, but we're all in your garden. So Father, I pray this morning that if there would be one in this place, and I know there are many, that has not yet fully received the truth that just as they are, they're fully accepted, that this word and this moment would be a paramount moment in their life, a pivotal moment in their life, where they begin to accept themselves as an image bearer of their creator. Lord, when we see ourselves as we really are, then all the things we've done to try to be accepted just sort of fall off. And we operate from favor instead of for favor. Father, I pray for those that have walked in this morning or those that have come in this morning sick, those that have come in, Lord, with mental distress. Those that have come in this morning broken. And I pray the anointing upon this house, that their hearts were, were bound up this morning, that their eyes were open to see, that their ears were able to hear your heart towards them this morning. Lord, as we leave this place and go off to celebrate Father's Day, or for those that may not even have a father, help us to keep in mind and keep in our hearts the reality that you love us, that we bear your image, that you are our Abba, not just on a Sunday out of the year, but every day of our lives, that we would live and walk and move and breathe with the spirit of full acceptance. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you for coming this morning. Happy Father's Day again to you fathers.